The book of Acts gets its name from the Acts of the Apostles. But when I studied the book of Acts, what I found out is the book of Acts is what people acted like after they met Jesus. It's how you act after you've encountered the risen Messiah. It's what became the church. When we closed last Sunday, their meeting place shook. Can you imagine we come in here today and all of a sudden the name of Jesus and his resurrection and the building shakes. We pray and the, and the earth moves. When we closed last Sunday, the meeting place was shaking and the Holy Spirit came and, and, uh, and, in, and in an extra measure, it's the only way I can describe it, they, they preached with great courage and great boldness. Preached what? This good news. There's a cure for death. There's a resurrection. Now what on earth could top that? Can you imagine going to the church? What, what church services in the future are going to be equal to that one? Yeah, do you remember back when we met and the building shook? What do you do next Sunday? I want to read the very next verse that describes the church in that day. The very next verse. What's the context? It is just, they've just had a shaking. God's presence was so powerful among them that the building shakes. The next verse, Acts 4, 32. And all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. Now, I'm going to tell you, in those few verses, I saw seven items, seven things I want to start with today. Seven things in four verses that were directly connected to the building shaking and the Holy Spirit coming and great boldness and great courage. Something, he didn't just shake the building for no reason. He's shaking them. He's changing the way they look at life. Number one, all believers were united in heart and mind. They thought like each other. Does that mean they had never had a disagreement? I doubt that's true. But they were of one mind. Number two, the believers felt that their possessions were not actually theirs. Making it very easy to share with other people. Because they realized that what I have really isn't mine. Number three, the apostles testified with power and boldness regarding the resurrection of Jesus. They weren't afraid. They weren't embarrassed. They weren't ashamed. They weren't worried about somebody's going to get offended when I talk about the exclusiveness of Jesus. Number four, they all live day by day under the blessing. Do you live under the blessing? See, I'm convinced that the children of God live daily under the blessing. Number five, there were no needy people among them because of two things. And, and what are the two things? All the believers lived under the blessing. If, if There's no needy people because 
the people are under the blessing, and the blessing is the provision of God. And if the provision isn't sufficient for one, the provision is more than sufficient for somebody next to that one so that they can share with the one who is in need. That's the blessing. They were selling their possessions and giving to people who had needs. This is the church. This is the church. Let me stop and ask a question here. Do you think these practices, this lifestyle, would set you apart from the culture in which you live? Do you think you would be considered different? Do you understand why people were amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded in the book of Acts? Because these people are different. They don't think like anybody else. And then Luke, the author of the book of Acts under the Holy Spirit, Luke gives a specific example of this new lifestyle. Here's where we're going today. Luke, in that context, the building shakes, and they feel like, like everything I have is, is not really mine, that I'm here for a temporary season to be used of God to display His glory and to help those who don't have as much. Luke, in the next verse, describes the lifestyle of people, listen, listen, who actually believe that what they have really isn't mine. We don't really own anything. Everybody listen. What would happen if us, today, if we came to the conclusion that they came to? I don't really own anything. I don't really own anything. Verse 36. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus, and he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. You see, the context of that verse is that they all came to this conclusion, I don't own anything. I remember years ago having this conversation with somebody about whether or not it's better to buy a house or rent a house. Now, that would be a long debate, whether or not it's better to buy a house in this lifetime, in our world. You've got to live somewhere. Cardboard boxes don't hold up very good. So whether it's a good idea to buy a house or rent a house. And the idea is this. Even if you buy a house, do you own it? Somebody says, no, the bank owns it. They let me live there. But when you pay the mortgage off, do you own it? Will you be living in it in 100 years? Who owns it? You see, it's this idea of understanding. And listen, it's, it's great to buy a house. I hope you buy a house. I hope you buy three houses. But that's not it. You don't own anything. You don't own anything. You see, they, they got it. This church, they got it. We don't own anything. If you're in the room today and you're struggling with the concept, and, and I was thinking about this when I was writing, if you're in the room today and you're still struggling with the concept of a tithe, if you're in the room today and you're still struggling with the idea that the first 10% of all that you have belongs to God as an offering, if you're in the room today and you're struggling with that, I want you to compare yourself to this culture that changed the world. You see, they understood that they didn't own anything. Nothing that they had was theirs. 
Why did you have to bring that up, Terry? Why did you have to bring up the tithe thing? I was feeling pretty good about that time of singing, and then you bring up tithing. And here's why. Because the modern American church doesn't look anything like the church in the book of Acts. It doesn't. We don't look anything like these people. And I bring that up because what happens next? I bring that up because of what happens next in Acts chapter 5. Reality sets in. We are in a spiritual war and there is an unholy spirit. If the Holy Spirit is shaking the building, what's the unholy spirit going to do? If the Holy Spirit is shaking the building and teaching these people that what I have, really, I don't own anything, what's the unholy spirit doing? Is he on vacation? And he's doing it in the church. Here it comes. Don't miss the context of chapter 4. The building is shaking. The Holy Spirit's coming boldness. There's selfless generosity. There's unity. There's oneness. They're getting the junk out of their life. They, uh, they're trading the temporary. Listen, they're trading the temporary for the eternal. They're, they're trading the right now for forever. That's what the church is doing. That's what sets them apart from the world. And then this happens. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. What these two were doing was not unusual, was it? In fact, they were, a lot of people were doing it. They were selling property and bringing it to the church, bringing it to the leaders of the church. In that time, it was the apostles. This is what, made, this is what many in the church were doing. They were selling off some assets and bringing the revenue of those assets to the church. Why? To meet the needs of those who didn't have much. Except this time there's a difference. They're doing it for show. Are you hearing me? They're doing it for show. They weren't truly all in. You see, the people who are selling off their land and bringing it to the apostles, they're all in. They're all in. They're not halfway in, a little bit in, barely in. They're all in. And they understand that what they don't really own anything. That piece of land that I think I own, I don't really own that. I'm just kind of leasing it. So they were selling stuff and bringing it. But these people were pretenders. Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a piece of property, and they come and they are becoming pretenders. It's kind of cool, this whole church movement thing, and everybody wants God, right? So let's pretend like we're all in. Joseph, named Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he sold his property and bought the, brought the full amount to the apostles. He didn't bring 10%. You know what he brought? He brought 100%. And all the believers were coming to the truth-filled understanding that everything they owned was not actually theirs at all. It all belongs to God. And they were, they were willing to set aside the temporary in exchange for the promise of the eternal. In the midst of this great move of God in Jerusalem, two people entered the story of the early church. I told you that the Holy Spirit was shaking them. 
Do you think the unholy spirits are going to remain neutral? Two people who will be deceived by the unholy spirit and thus bring them into direct conflict with the Holy Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira, they are in it together. They are going to pretend. Listen, here's where this thing sets up today. Two people in the church who are going to pretend to be all in. Two pretenders among true believers with the Holy Spirit standing in the middle. I want you to visualize in your mind two people, Ananias and Sapphira, they're pretenders, they're over here. And over here on the other side, there are the truly all-in believers of Jesus Christ. And in between these two groups of people stands the Holy Spirit in the middle. Do you think this is going to end well? Do you think pretending to be all in is a good idea? What about today? Do you think pretending to be all in is a good idea? I've got to say it again. The modern American church doesn't look very much like the church in the book of Acts. Or, or, or maybe they do. But maybe they lean more toward the Ananias and Sapphira side than they do the other side. Verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. And you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours. It's yours to give away or not to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us. You're lying to God. Now I want to clearly break down this event with Peter and Ananias. Number one, Satan, the unholy spirit, has taken hold of this pretender named Ananias. And i got to ask a question. When I come to that point, I'm thinking, how, how does Satan do that? Satan has taken hold of this man, Ananias. Peter says, why did you let Satan get your heart? Satan can't take Ananias or anyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm convinced that Satan can't come. If you are true, if you are a true born-again, all-in believer, Satan can't just come in and jump into your heart. He can't do it. Why? Because somebody's already got your heart. Somebody's already there, and he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Somebody say amen. He can't just come and take, unless you're a pretender. If you need to hear anything today, you better listen. Pretending is a dangerous place. Satan can't take Ananias or anyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit but he can take a pretender. How do I know that? Some of you might think, well, Terry, is that a supposition? No, I know that. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38, the apostle Paul says this, for I am convinced, Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life nor what? Angels or demons? Angels and demons can't take Jesus out of my heart. They can't come in and take away this, this Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. 
neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate me from the love of God. Verse 39, no power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the story today. If your heart belongs to God, belongs to God, He has purchased you. By the blood of His Son, He has bought you. He owns you. You didn't come reluctantly. You didn't come kicking and screaming. He didn't come kidnap you. You heard the good news, and you bowed in front of Him. And He purchased you with the blood of His own Son. That's the payment, the blood of His Son. If your heart belongs to God, Satan can't fill your heart because your heart's already full. And Peter looks at Ananias and says, why did you let Satan fill your heart? Why wasn't it already full? All in. Think about that word, all in. Doesn't leave any room for the unholy spirit to take you out. Over the years, I've, I've come to this simple conclusion. Two words, two words, two words. In my own life and in witnessing people in the church, two words. I doubt there's a person in this room today that doesn't want Jesus to be your Savior. Who doesn't want a Savior? All right, it's like carrying this get-out-of-jail-free card in your wallet, right? I get in trouble, something terrible happens in my life, I got a Savior. It's like you can whistle and here comes the Savior. Everybody wants a Savior, right? But you know there's a second word, Lord. That word means master. And the all-in people understand that to receive the Savior, I must receive the Lord. That they're a package deal. You get them both. It's two for one. To get the Savior, I get the Lord and the master. He's the same person. I don't get one without the other. You see, the all-in doesn't leave any room for the unholy spirit to come because the master has come and the master is more powerful than the unholy spirit so if i have the savior and if i have the lord and they live in me satan comes tries to fill my heart there's no room number two ananias did something he lied to the holy spirit do you think he knew do you think that at that moment when he looks at peter and he, 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 he says this is all, knowing it's not all. Do you think at that moment he knew this is not going to end good? You think he knew this is not going to end good? See, that's how the deceiver works. You don't know when he's deceiving you that you're being deceived. Ananias thinks he's deceiving Peter. But how would Peter know this without the Holy Spirit? How did Peter know? You ever wonder, how did Peter know this wasn't all of it? That you're lying. Peter knows the truth, and this is the truth. Let me repeat verse 4. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished, and after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us. You were lying to God. Ananias didn't have to sell his property. Everybody listen carefully. Some of y'all can go, Whew. Okay? 
Ananias didn't have to sell his property. This was not a requirement of the early church. These people were doing this willingly. They were doing it gladly, without deceit, but in truth. If Ananias wanted to give a portion to the apostles, he could have, but don't lie about it. Are you hearing me? If he wanted to sell his property and give 10% to the apostles, it's within his power. It's fine, but don't lie about it. Don't become a pretender. Do you see the purity of the motives of the early church? And here comes a pretender. There was purity in their motives. They were selling, this Barnabas guy, he's selling his property, bringing it to the apostles. You know why? Because there were people in the church who didn't have anything. And in the middle of the purity of these Holy Spirit motives, here comes two pretenders. What's going to happen to the church if this moves in? What's going to happen to the purity of the church? That pretender thinks he's tricking Peter, but he's actually lying to God. I want to stop at this part of the story and ask the same question I asked earlier. If you're in the room today and you're struggling with the concept of a tithe, I want you to compare yourself to this culture that changed the world. Just do it. Compare yourself. All in? Are you all in? Can you say, can you say, and I'll hold myself accountable to the same thing I'm asking you to be accountable. Can you say Jesus is your Savior and He is also your Master? Do you want to live under the blessing of God, the protection of God? Do you recognize that everything you have right now, everything you think you own right now is not actually yours? That you don't actually have anything that He didn't give you? Do you think you will have it in a hundred years? Do you think it'll end well for the church pretenders? What's going to happen to Ananias? I want to know. Next verse, verse 5. As soon as Ananias heard these words from Peter, he fell to the floor and he died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out and they buried him. Amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded. And you can add another word now, terrified. That's the church. Amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded, and now they're terrified. What would happen to the modern American church if God used this same standard today? (laughs) What would happen? God uses the same standard today. What would happen? Let me make something very clear now. God hasn't asked you to sell everything you have and give it to the church. It's not a requirement to come to Christ. No, no. I'm going to make it clear. So in case you're thinking, this is, the, this is what it's going to take to be a part of the church. You've got to sell everything. You, no, no, that's not it. But I'm going to tell you the truth. The Scripture does tell you to bring a tithe. Yeah, it does. A tenth of what you have received to the church. But I can tell you this truth. God has commanded. God has. He didn't command that we, the church, sell everything we have and give it to the poor. He did tell us to bring a tithe. But here's what I want to tell you. God has commanded that you give him all your heart. 
God has commanded that you give him all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. That's what the word master means. It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. So if you're fretting about the idea that, you know what, in the early church they sold all their stuff, nothing they had was actually theirs. Forget about that because that's secondary to this. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's a commandment from our king. It's a commandment from our master, from our savior. And pretenders are only fooling themselves. In Matthew 22, here's where Jesus makes it clear. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together and they questioned Jesus again. One of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment? In the law of Moses, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. There's a lot of all in there. Did y'all see a lot of all in that? And I'm asking, what is it about the word all that we struggle with? You know what all means? All. You're supposed to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And you know what? Most people, when they read Acts chapter 5, they're thinking about all my stuff. It's not about all your stuff. All your stuff means nothing when you understand that all of my life belongs to him. My stuff is secondary. They're giving away their stuff because he's taken all of their hearts. These two commandments are the church. They are the church. Do you see it? They describe the church in Acts chapter 4 and 5. Nowhere in the Bible does it command you to sell everything you own and give it away, but it does command you to sell your heart. It does command you to sell your soul, to sell your life, all of it to God. The payment's already been made, the blood of Christ. Jesus does command you to love your neighbor. You know why they were giving away their stuff? Because they loved their neighbor and their neighbor didn't have much stuff. Both commandments are in the church. Let me be very frank here. If you're having a hard time giving a tithe to the church, and this sermon is not about money. If you're having a hard time giving a tithe to the church, I'm having a really hard time believing you've given 100% of your life to God. It just doesn't make much sense. Pretenders are still in the church today. And pretenders don't have a problem with me at all. I don't know who gives what. Since I've been at this church, I've made a point I never see the offering. I see the total. I never see individual offerings. There's people in this building who do. I'm not one of them. I made a decision years ago. I don't want to ever be influenced by any of that, so I've separated myself. So pretenders aren't doing anything to me because I never see any of it. But I know the one who does know. I know him. Do you think sin, the sin of pretending, only affects the pretender? 
Do you think the a church of pretenders will be able to carry out its true mission? Do you think God will allow pretenders to stop the unstoppable church? Let's ask Sapphira. Do you think God will allow pretenders to stop this movement of God? Let's ask Sapphira, Ananias' wife. She hasn't been mentioned except right in the beginning. Next verse, verse 7. About three hours later, about three hours after Ananias is dead and buried, about three hours later his wife came in, not knowing what had happened to her husband. Peter asked her, was this the price? Was, what's he doing? He's giving her a chance. Was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. She had a chance. Everybody listen, listen, this is big. She had a chance to come clean. She had a chance to tell the truth. That's what I call grace. I don't know what you call grace, but I can tell you what grace is. I can tell you what the Bible calls grace. Grace is when God gives you a chance. You don't deserve to get a chance. I don't deserve to get a chance. That's the undeserved favor of God is that he gives you a chance. Sapphira's getting a chance. Peter, through the Holy Spirit, is giving Sapphira a chance. She doesn't deserve to have a chance because she's already lied about it. Her and her husband together were complicit in pretending she doesn't deserve a chance, but God gives her a chance. It's called grace, a chance to come clean, a chance to choose truth over a lie. You don't deserve it, but God gives it. It's grace. A chance to, true, a chance to choose the holy over the unholy. And Sapphira chose poorly. Many will choose poorly. Grace is lost. Listen, grace in this scene is lost. Grace was offered, and grace was lost. Grace was offered, but grace was lost. A chance was given, but the chance was not taken. Grace was sufficient, but grace is gone. Grace cannot be based upon a lie. Grace is always based upon a truth. Grace and truth must remain together. Jesus, John says, Jesus came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth. Next verse, verse 9. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to do what? To test the Spirit. To test the Spirit of the Lord like this. The young men who buried your husband. And see, she doesn't even know this. She's hearing this first time. The young men that buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. What's going on in Sapphira's heart right now? I kind of go. <laughs> the young men that buried your husband are standing right over here. And they're going to carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor and she died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear gripped the entire church. Great fear gripped the entire church. And everyone who heard what had happened, they're, they're afraid. Amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded. And now you can add terrified and you can add great fear. 
I'm going to ask everybody a question. Here we go. Here we go. Come on. Acts chapter 5. You know what's happening in the church. Would you join this church? <laughs> Invitation time. Yeah, I want to be in this church. Are you going to look for one down the road? Um, here's the follow-up question. Is there another church? If you don't join this one, is there another one that you can join? You see, it's not a very good place for pretenders. Is there another church? Is there a less demanding church? One that's not so critical? Is there another church that, that's uh, a little more sympathetic? A little less demanding? Now, I need to make something very clear today. This is where it gets interesting. You think it's interesting? Here's where it gets interesting. I want to make this very clear. I want everybody to listen carefully. If you are here today in this church, in this audience, and you are seeking, I'll call you a seeker today. If you're here today and you are seeking to find out the truth of Jesus Christ, you are welcome. You are not a pretender. Did you hear me? And I'm talking to some people very specifically right now. If you're here in this room today and you came because you want to find out about Jesus, you don't know. You just don't know the details. You don't know about this eternal life, this, this master, this savior. If you're, here to, you're not a pretender. I'm not calling you a pretender. You're not a pretender. You are a seeker. I was a seeker once, and I'm glad they didn't throw me out. I get it. There's some people in this room today, you're a seeker. You don't know. You're not a pretender. I'm not labeling you as a pretender, so don't act like I am, because I'm not. I used to be a pretender. I focus much of my teaching to and for seekers who don't want to be pretenders. If you're in the room today and you're all in, so that's the first category. If you're in the room today and you're a seeker and you don't know, you're not a pretender. Don't, don't feel like I'm fussing at you, because I'm not. You're welcome here. I want you to listen. If you're in the room today and you're all in, let me give you some counsel. If you're in the room today and you are all in, you understand that you don't own anything. I got some counsel for you. Do not, do not look down your nose at seekers. Because you used to be a seeker too, just like I was. Do not look down your nose at those who don't know. There was a time in your life that the grace of God was extended to you. There's a time in my life that the grace of God was extended to me. I was a seeker. I didn't know. I didn't know. And God extended His grace. He gave me a chance. Jesus talks about seekers. And Jesus talks about those who are all in. And Jesus talks about pretenders. Do you know that? Jesus talks about seekers. He talks about the all-in believers. And he talks about pretenders. This teaching of Jesus about seekers and the all-in and the pretenders was revealed to the Apostle John in what we refer to as the Revelation. Do you know that? Through John, Jesus sends a message to the seven churches. And what I'm about to read to you is the seventh and the final church in Revelation. The church's name is Laodicea. It's a rather short letter from Jesus, so I'm going to read it all. And I'm going to tell you, listen as I read, in it are all three. There are seekers, they don't know. 
There's all in. They do know. And Jesus is not just their Savior. Jesus is their Master. And in it, there are pretenders. They're all three. Here they go. Here we go. Revelation 3, 14. Jesus says, write a letter to the angel of the church. To the church! To the church! To the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know. What? 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 I know. I know all the things you do. Look around the room today. He knows. I don't know. I'm glad I don't know. He says, I know all the things you do. That you're neither hot nor cold. I wonder who that is. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by the fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me. So you will not be ashamed of your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your what? Indifference. Your middle. Get out of the middle. Look, I stand at the door and I knock. That's grace. You know what grace is? He gives you a chance. He's knocking on the door. You didn't deserve to have him come to your door, neither did I. I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat on the, my sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Do you see all three in this letter to John? Do you see all three? The hot, I wish you were hot or cold, but there's hot, cold, and lukewarm. The hot are the all-in believers. All the hot. Oh, I wish everybody in this room was hot. All your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's all in, all in. That's who they are. The cold, they're the seekers. You know, he's not blasting seekers. Anybody knows? He's not blasting seekers, is he? They're seekers. Looking for the truth, the real truth that will only come from the all-ins who are willing to say it, to reveal it, because they've received it. Then there are the lukewarm. They're not hot and they're not cold. They're playing the middle. You know what I like to label them? They're pretenders. Do you know how I know the lukewarm are pretenders? I'll repeat verse 17. You say, you say I'm rich. Jesus is saying it, not me. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. You don't realize, you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. You're bankrupt. But you don't know it. You think that stuff you've got's yours not yours these pretenders don't yet know 
that none of these current possessions are actually theirs. This was the core of the Acts chapter 4 church. And that's why it doesn't look anything like the American church. Let me go back to Acts 4. I want you to compare Revelation to the book of Acts. This is the church. Acts 4.32. All the believers were united in mind, in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them. I know this today. I know this today. I am wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked without Jesus Christ. I get it. I get it. The grace of God through the Holy Spirit has revealed this truth to me, and now I cannot keep this truth to myself. To the cold seekers in the room today, listen, if you're in the room today, we're not going to ask you to hold your hand up and identify yourself, but in your own heart, if you're in the room today and you're a seeker, you just don't know. I beg you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to take hold of this grace of God. Don't put it off. I stand at the door and knock. Not Terry Cooper, not Nineveh Christian Church. Jesus Christ, the I Am, stands at the door and knocks. He's given you a chance today to receive life. If you're a seeker today, a cold seeker in the room, I beg you to take a chance, to take hold of this chance, open the door. To the hot, all-in believers in the room today, I beg you to spread the good news and never forget that you used to be a seeker. Don't you look down your nose at seekers as if you're somehow superior to seekers. Because you used to be a seeker, so did I. And if you're a lukewarm pretender in the room today, I'm going to tell you, if you're a lukewarm pretender in the room today, I have a word for you today as well. You might not like it, but I'm going to tell you the absolute truth. You are Sapphira standing in front of Peter. It's you. You are Sapphira standing in front of Peter in a wait-a-minute moment of grace that has been offered by an all-powerful, merciful God a chance to believe the truth and move from the middle to the all-in. Don't, don't move from the middle into the seeker. Uh-uh. Move from the middle into the all-in. Believe. Believe the truth. Do you remember the last sentence of Jesus' letter to the church at Laodicea? Let me repeat verse 22. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to who? Who's he talking to? The church. You mean there's people in the middle in the church? Yeah, yeah. There are. Let me wrap this up. I'm going to ask you a question. Would you join that church where Peter was preaching? I smile because I think it's funny. I do. When I look at the American church and I look at the church in the book of Acts, I don't imagine they would have a big attendance. Would you join this church where Peter's preaching? And if you think this is about money, if you're in the room today and you think this is about money, all I can tell you is you still aren't getting it. This has got nothing to do with money. 
You have a terminal condition called death. You might argue with me about a thousand things, but you will not argue with me about this truth. You have a terminal condition called death. Everyone has it. Even from birth, you're dying. What are you going to do about that? Jesus is the cure to death. You know what he says to the church in Laodicea? Buy gold for me. You say, what, why? I want you to buy a treasure, real treasure, something you can own a hundred years from now and a thousand years from now and a million years from now. You can own this treasure for it. Buy gold for me. Buy a white garment for me. What's that? This forgiveness of sins that makes you at peace with God. Put his salve on your eyes so that you can see. See what? That all this stuff I have right now is not actually mine. It's temporary. But there is a treasure laid up in heaven and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And you'll never lose that treasure. Would you keep, would you hold on to that which you cannot keep and lose that which you could never lose? Would you, would you make that trade? Would you join that church after Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in one of their services? It's a real question. Would you, if you heard about it, if you heard that, did you hear that Ananias and Sapphira both dropped dead? Would you, would, yeah, that's a church I want to go to. What time are their services? But I got to ask a serious question. Do you think there's another one? If you don't join that one, do you, do you think there's another one down the road, maybe less demanding, more open-minded, more tolerant? The one down the road, all you got to do is choose Jesus as Savior. They don't ask you to make him Lord or Master. Now let's take that one. Next verse, verse 11. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Would this Ananias and Sapphira thing make the church grow or would it make the church shrink? <laughs> do you, what do you think? Because I can tell you what the Bible bookstore would tell you. It'll make it shrink. But it didn't, did it? I guess that would be determined by who's doing this. Is Peter doing this? Did Peter kill Ananias and Sapphira? Who's doing this? Jesus told us about this whole church growth thing. John 15, 1, Jesus says, I'm the true grapevine and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. I wonder what that looks like when he cuts off branches. They don't produce fruit. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I'll remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot produce fruit unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, I and them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The powerful message of Jesus was pruning the church. In the time of Peter and the powerful message of Jesus is pruning the church today. The pruning is the removal, listen, the pruning is the removal of the pretenders. Not to throw them into the fire. That's not it. If you think that's what pruning looks like, you're wrong. 
The pruning is not to take pretenders and throw them into the fire. The pruning is to take the pretenders and move them into the all-ins. Hot. That's grace. When pretenders become the all-in believers. That's grace. When seekers hear the powerful message of Jesus and receive it for themselves. Much fruit comes from this true grapevine. Because you know what? Pretenders don't bear fruit. Seekers don't bear fruit. But I testify something today. There was a time in my life that I have been both. That I was a pretender and I was a seeker. I don't want to ever forget that. There was a time in my life when I didn't know. I didn't know. I just didn't know. I didn't know that I was wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I didn't know. Somebody had to tell me. Then the grace and mercy of God opened my eyes to see my fatal condition. He gave me a chance. I heard a knocking on my door. It's Jesus. Preachers preaching the Word of God revealed it to me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in those services, I heard the truth. Preachers preaching the Word of God. I have a word for you seekers today. The grace and mercy of God has made a place for you in the body of Christ. Seekers, everybody listen. If you're in the church today and you're a seeker, you know you're a seeker. The grace and mercy of God has made a place for you in this church. But you'll move from a seeker to all in. I have a word for the pretenders today. The grace and mercy of God has made a place for you in the body of Christ. But no more pretending. No more pretending. Are you all in? What is the value of being all in? What's the cost of not being all in? What is the cost of being a pretender or dying as a seeker but never have found the truth? John 15, 6. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and they wither. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned into a pile to be burned. I don't have to tell you what that means. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it'll be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are true. You are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. True disciples, you know who they are? They're all in. It brings glory to the Father. And I can tell you this, it's all His. It brings glory to the Father. It's all His. And it'll still be all His a hundred years from now. Where's Peter today? I asked Chad to come out for the invitation. Where's Peter today? Where's John today? Where's Ananias today? Where's Sapphira today? Where are they at? Would you join? Would you join this church that Peter preached at where Ananias and Sapphira died, would you join that church? If you're a true believer, you have joined that church. Because I'm going to tell you, there's not another one. The church is the body of Christ. To join the church is to join Christ. There isn't another one. Today we offer an invitation to seekers. Today we offer an invitation to pretenders. Today, the door is being knocked upon. Let's stand.